Welcome to another episode of Do Theology. My name is Jeremy Howard. I am a pastor in Utah and uh, broadcasting live once again from Cary, North Carolina, Shepherd's Theological Seminary. Which is not my permanent residence. No. You're actually a resident of Indiana. What's the town? Or is it too small that you would you'd be freaked out if people knew? Now Jeffersonville, Indiana. It's cool. Yeah. Formerly a resident of Jefferson Town, Kentucky. Sort of. I, that's that's where the other church was. I didn't live in Jefferson Town, but yes, I was formerly an associate pastor at a church plant in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, and now I have moved to Jeffersonville, Indiana. So where did you live yep. in Kentucky, Louisville? Uh, Fern Creek, which is just a suburb. In really? Louisville. Yeah. Which, okay, so Louisville, I mean, it's a Louisville address. If, if you were to write me a letter, you'd have to put Louisville on there. Oh. So. Okay. Calvinism is much false doctrine as a woman preacher. Well, of course, in fundamentalism, you define everything as a gospel issue. This is a true mark of Christian maturity to discern the difference of issues. I got an idea. Let's not one with anybody who thinks they got another idea. There's a lot of different understandings of what the days are in Genesis 1 and to what degree evolution was part of how God created things. I have disagreements with him in some areas, but those are adiaphora, those are side issues, many important issues. So many Bible doctrines are ruined when we use the wrong words. This is why it's so critical that we use only the King James Bible. You gotta have that right or get out of here. Pray God that I don't take every minor thing and make a major thing out of it. Nothing divides like truth. I respect them as brothers in the Lord with whom I have some strong differences, but they have a big problem with me. Is there a way that we can work together? I think fundamentally we have to say yes. Christians can disagree and still kick it. Yeah. Well, we were talking about in between uh, recordings of these episodes, uh, Daniel Block's book, For the Glory of God. And if you're listening to this and you've never read that book, you should check out the book For the Glory of God by Daniel Block who is a really good writer. I've enjoyed that book has just been influential to me. It's a top five Christian book uh, in my opinion for me. And he is, uh, he is of the same category of like a Jerry Bridges to me where um, like a, a sweet grandpa type figure who can beat you up and comfort you and give you a butterscotch candy and also give you a spanking because he's your grandpa and <laughs> you love him. And uh, <clears throat> so Norman Geisler used to be in that category for me um, until I started disagreeing more with his theology, not totally, just mainly in the Calvinism area. And, uh, and now he's in heaven. So maybe one day we'll just have this grandfatherly grandson relationship again in glory. But um but anyway, Jerry Bridges, Daniel Block, these are great guys. For the Glory of God by Daniel Block. You should yeah. read it. Ken read it. Yeah, it's a great book. Um, it was pretty formative for me uh, in developing a philosophy of worship in life. You know, that's one of the things that we mistakenly think. You know, a lot of people think that worship is the music time at church. It, it's an iTunes category. Yeah, right. And it's and that's just biblically, that's just completely antithetical to what the scriptures teach about worship. Worship is life. Uh, and, and, uh, yeah, that book for the glory of God, um, does a really good job of working, walking you through the different areas of your life 
and demonstrating how uh, that's an area in which we are called to worship God in our life, in our homes, in, in every aspect. And yeah, it's great. It's a great book. And I'm using Daniel Block's Deuteronomy commentary as I, along with the other elders, preach the Deuteronomy and we're teaching through Old Testament biographies. We're starting this Sunday with Ephraim and Manasseh, which is a pretty fun study. Mm. Um, so we're, we've got a lot of Old Testament time going on at our church, and that's Daniel Block's specialty. So really checking out his resources. But what, what are you teaching through at your church plant there, Mr. Chip? Yeah, yeah. so we're since we're such a brand new church plant uh, and still so, so young and, and, and small, um, with the group that we have, we've just been covering, you know, what are, what are some of the very basic of basics? You know, what is the gospel? What are the basics of Christianity? What's the basics of Christian life? And, and that's just kind of where we started. Um, we're about to break away from that and just do a short little series on how do we study the Bible for ourselves? And then we're going to take the things that we learned from that and jump into a book study and say, all right, now we've just learned how to study the Bible. Well, let's put that into practice and work through a book of the Bible together and, uh, and, and do, do theology, <laughs> you know, just do, uh, do good Bible study together. Um, so yeah, right now we're not meeting on Sundays. We just have a Bible study going, but, um, yeah. If you live teaching. in Southern Indiana near the Ohio river, come check us out. Contact Ken. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, we are here to discuss part two of primary doctrine in the last episode, which if you haven't listened to, you should probably go back and listen to it. And I know you probably don't like it when people say that on a podcast episode, but you should. We uh, defined what primary doctrine is, and we discussed how the gospel is primary doctrine. And in this episode, we want to cover two more categories within primary doctrine, dogma and practice. Mm -hmm. So, um, Ken, you want to get the conversation going in that direction there, do you? Sure. So once again, well, the, uh, the chart that we're kind of, um, pulling a lot of this from, that's going to be, there's a link to that in the script, in the description. So you'll definitely want to check that out. Um, uh, but yeah, so when we step away from, uh, issues of gospel and we begin stepping into the arena of dogma, you know, these are things that, you know, may not necessarily come up in a witnessing encounter. If you're sharing the gospel with someone and say, hey, you need to believe in Jesus Christ and you're trying to explain the fullness of the gospel. These things may not necessarily make the way into that conversation. Now they may because people have objections. Well, what about this or what about that? And you can explain uh, what, but not these not necessarily might not enter into those conversations. And yet they still remain definitional to Christianity and, and, and what the Bible ever so clearly teaches uh, in, these, uh, in these things. And so um, these, are, um, these are doctrines, these are, these are theological um, teachings that they're crystal clear in Scripture, and we, can't, we cannot deny these things and still be considered orthodox Christians. Yeah, so. and, that's, and that's what's critical, especially as we consider how a person comes to know the Lord and becomes to identify himself or herself with the Christian community. It's not so much that you need to know all these things before you can do that, but as these things are presented to you from 
scripture and uh, they're, they're uh, presented to you from your pastor and the counsel that you receive. You can't deny these things because again, primary doctrine, these are doctrines that transcend hermeneutics. These are absolutely clear in scripture. You cannot deny these things and still rightly call yourself a Christian. You would have to um, make up a new title at that point, because if we, if we remove these things, we've lost all substance of Christianity itself. Yeah. And, and again, um, and I don't know how much we really spelled this out in the last episode, but we want to, we want to believe in a Christianity that is defined by God himself. Right. Because obviously we could just say, well, Christianity is just reading the gospels and trying to live a life like Jesus lived it. Okay. Well, that's a definition you made up. We, <laughs> we start with the presupposition that the Bible is the word of God, that we need all of it and um, we can't add to it. Therefore, we take the whole of Scripture and we let Scripture speak for itself, and God defines what Christianity is based on that presupposition. So that's a that's a pretty critical aspect. Amen. Amen. So yeah, with that said, um, you know, as as we have this chart, uh, the first thing that's listed there: uh, biblical inerrancy and authority. And this kind of touches back, you know, with our, uh, our conversation on sola scriptura um, as part of it. Um, uh, but just, yeah, the biblical, when we're t- biblical inerrancy, the scriptures are inerrant in their original manuscripts, right? As, as the Bible was originally written, did not contain any error. So that's, that is, that is fundamental. That is key. That is foundational. That is definitional uh, for Christianity uh, as it is the, very word of God, right, is, um, is breathed out by God as that, as that concept of inspiration. Um, God doesn't make mistakes. You know, God, God doesn't write something and go, whoops, well, I guess I didn't really think that one through. No, these, these are God's words. And, that's it, well, and, and by the same token, he also didn't say, I'm going to implant thoughts in their heads uh, these Bible writers, and I hope that they say what I want them to say. Right. Um, so he he didn't do that either. What the product that came off of their pen was exactly what he desired it to be. Yet at the same time, they didn't lose their personality. They didn't lose their own style. That was mm-hmm. all still incorporated because God is able to do that because God is God. Yeah. And that's uh, what theologians refer to as the superintending of the Holy Spirit over the process of, of the writing of the scriptures. Yes. So verbal plenary inspiration, all plenary means all verbal means words, all words were inspired. Um, And and now how do we, how do we say that that plays out today though? Cause you of course said rightly, the original manuscripts aren't errant. We don't have the originals. I've got sitting next to me, a very nice uh, Oxford print wide margin, New American Standard Bible that I preach from, uh, or not Oxford, sorry, Cambridge. It's the Cambridge one. Mm-hmm. Uh, here it is. Now, it's is a nice this? Bible. It's so nice. Got it at my ordination from my pastor in Kansas City. Love it. Uh, is this an errand? Yeah, and that's that's a that can be a, str- it's a tricky issue for many people, right? Because you know we. Everybody's heard the argument, oh, you know, so much time has passed, like a game of telephone. How do we know that what we have today is anywhere near what was originally written? And, you know, by God's grace, we have such a wealth of knowledge in that area where we have, you know, the manuscript evidence 
is very, very clear that, you know, through, uh, through careful study, it is clear what was, we have 99.9% accuracy of what was originally written in the original manuscripts. And then as the, the, uh, the Greek manuscripts that we have today in the, um, the text traditions that we have, <laughs> the, the, the places where we are, uh, have less confidence that, oh, we're not sure if it was originally this or this, the issues are so minor and the translational differences are so minuscule that um, it just, the confidence that we can have in God's word, um, it's there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and we, again, um, we believe these things because God is God and we are not. And so he is able to sovereignly preserve exactly that which he desires for us. And so it would be very inconsistent on our part to say he inspired miraculously. He inspired the original words while keeping their personality and everything involved yet totally superintending the entire process. And yet when they were done, his hands were tied. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) How inconsistent would that be? So, um, so we believe that God preserved and uh, has kept his word for us and therefore uh, it's authoritative. Now, obviously when we share the gospel with somebody that we, like we covered in the last episode, we're doing it from the word of God because that's our only source of, of uh, truth, absolute Mm -hmm. truth and authoritative truth is the word of God. Um, And so there's a a way that this is involved in our gospel conversations, but the doctrine of inerrancy is not something that someone has to fully comprehend and understand in order to be saved. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so it's not, Oh yeah. You have to, you have to believe that you're sinful, that, that Jesus is, you know, the, the God man, that you're substitutionary atonement and you have to believe that scriptures are perfect. It's like, yeah. uh, Yeah. Well, and because it's so nuanced too, that it's a, kind of a big study yeah um, you, you can't just say uh believe that the bible is inerrant and you will be saved um, right. it's like well first of all people uh who lived in the new testament never taught that and second of all what does it mean that the bible is inerrant it's a big conversation right and yet what we what we do have to say is we're still dogmatic about it so that we teach this as a critical doctrine to defining Christianity. Because if we believe that the Bible could be wrong about what it teaches, then all of a sudden we've lost all the substance of what we say we believe. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have to be dogmatic about it. And for people who call themselves Christians, when they are presented with the doctrine of inerrancy, they either embrace it and continue to live the Christian life, or they reject it and they're no longer Christians and they have to come up with a new title for themselves because this is definitional to Christianity. Right. Of course, you know, this is one of those things that someone um, could take too far with Bible translations, right? And that's, that's something that we want to avoid. You know, we, we think Absolutely. of our, yeah. our King James only um, uh, crowd that, that would say that, yeah, okay, there's inerrancy in the original manuscript. Well, there's inerrancy in the King James Bible. Um, and that's not something that, that we hold to, um, you know, the, yeah, the, the Steven Anderson clip in the beginning, uh, yeah. in the intro of, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, all the words of God were preserved in the King James Bible. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. We, we don't bad for, that. for the first 1600 years of Christians. Uh, yeah. Right. The word of God. <laughs> right. 
it's, it's a joke, but you know, the people that say, oh yeah, the King James Bible was good enough for Paul. It's good enough for me. And it's like, uh, okay, let's, let's think about that for a minute. Yeah. But, so yeah, you know, we, we definitely allow for um, different uses of translations. Uh, you teach from the NASB predominantly. I teach from the ESV predominantly. Um, and you know what? We, we believe that both those translations um, are doing the best job that they, they can to faithfully communicate the original intent into English, right? And try to yeah. communicate that word for word uh, as best as, as possible uh, in our day. Um, and as, as language continues to morph, because the English language is, is tr- it's a changing language, it, there's going to come a day when there's going to be need to be another, a new translation that accurately mm-hmm. reflects what God was communicating in Greek or Hebrew into the uh, vernacular of our day so that we may understand it. Yeah. So. Yep. So we have to have a balanced view when it comes to inerrancy and authority. And like, like Ken was mentioning, this is listed on the chart. It's, I've got five things listed under dogma. This isn't comprehensive. Um, and we probably don't need to hit all five of these just to, to talk about the idea of what we're dogmatic about, what right. defines orthodoxy, biblical inerrancy and authority is a big one though. Yeah. Um, I'd if say the talk other about all of it, we're going to run out of time real fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, and, and just to list off the others real quick, you've got uh, on the chart again, not comprehensive, but just some, some thoughts, the bodily return of Christ. If you deny that you're a heretic, you don't believe in Orthodox Christianity, uh, the mm-hmm. existence of an eternal heaven and an eternal hell. Um, that's a big one. Um, if you deny the hell, like maybe you're an annihilationist, we've got problems, right? That's a big one. You can't, you can't deny that the Trinity and one that's listed in here that you were like, why would you put this on here? Yeah. Um, I put it on here during my time in Kansas city. Uh, when I lived there, the item that's listed is the universal church as the bride of Christ. Uh, I was living near, well, and you were living there too when we went to school. Yep. I hop the international house of prayer. Which, Not pancakes. Yeah. They, they probably can't. I think they lost the lawsuit with IHOP, right? Yeah. They're IHOP university. Now I hop you. I hop you. Anyway, uh, the international house of prayer has many wayward teachings. And one of them is that individually we become brides of Christ when we become Christians, that is a heresy. And so that's something that you probably wouldn't think of that goes in here, but it's true. I mean, Hmm. the universal church is the bride of Christ. That's uh, something we're dogmatic about, but maybe let's just touch on Trinity real quick before talking about the third section within primary doctrine, which is practice. Um, What do we want to say about Trinity in three minutes? Yeah. So, uh, you know, the three minutes, Oh boy. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Um, you know, the concept of the Trinity is so, it's, it is foundational to Christian teaching, right? So many, so many errors throughout uh, the history of the church uh, goes back to, a lot of it goes back to a misunderstanding of trying to understand the nature of our God and the nature of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and how they relate to one another. And scriptures are clear uh, that we serve one God and three persons. Now, that's, that can be difficult to understand, but essentially you got, you got one what and three who's, right? That's, that's kind of the, how it can be broken down. Um, so God the Father is God. God the Son, Jesus Christ, is God. The Holy Spirit is God. 
and yet there's only one God. Um, difficult to understand, but that we, if we are being faithful to what the Bible teaches and being faithful to what God reveals, we have to accept that and we have to uh, embrace that. And we can't be, you know, we can't be wishy-washy on something like that. It really does begin to affect other areas if we start messing with that understanding of the Trinity. Yeah. And it is difficult to understand, but what isn't difficult to understand in all of Christian doctrine? Right. You take you take any doctrine and we start talking about details and they're all difficult. We were just talking about inspiration of scripture. Yeah, it's difficult. How is that not just as hard as the Trinity to understand, right? right? Yeah. So um, God's ways are higher than our ways. We have to recognize that, that he is, he is God and we are not. Mm-hmm. And so these things aren't hard for him. They're hard for us. Um, but yeah, God is eternally revealed in three persons, three persons who share in the, uh, the Godhead. And there's one God. And of course, there are some common um, ways that this gets twisted and it turns heretical. Um, God is like a three-leaf clover. Uh, yeah. God is like water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and and a lot of times those are just innocent illustrations used by children, Sunday school teachers around the, the globe. Um, yet there are actual doctrines behind those illustrations that are actually used to lead many people astray. And so if we were going to hit those real quick, one would be modalism. That's mm-hmm. the water illustration that says that each water molecule um, can at once uh, at one time it's either water or liquid rather right it's either liquid gas or solid when it's ice so just as one water molecule can be each of those three things so is god well the problem is the one water molecule cannot be all three simultaneously it has to take turns and that's what's called modalism meaning god takes modes of existence in one of the three persons he's the father sometimes and then it's the son sometimes he's the spirit sometimes that's a heresy there is, um, and that's also called Sabellianism. There's Arianism, and these are all named after old people. Um, Arianism, I shouldn't say old people, dead people. Arianism <laughs> is the teaching that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are creations of God. It's a view that um, the Jehovah's Witnesses would hold to and right. Romans to some degree. Uh, but anyway, it's essentially saying that Jesus came into existence. The God, the father preexisted the son and the father and the son um, preexisted the spirit. Is that the common way they teach about the Holy spirit or do you, I'm not sure remember hearing that. Yeah. I'm not sure about the Holy spirit. But. So, but anyway, that the, that the son and the spirit are creations of the father. Mm-hmm. And then there's um partialism. And I don't know if there, this is actually something that anybody really believes. This is more of a, misunderstanding of what the Trinity is, the view that the three come together to make one God, like they are three pieces of a, of, say a pie is cut into thirds and the three pieces come together to make one pie. Uh, that's, that's also not true. And so right. there are a variety of ways to mess this up and you really don't want to mess up yeah. the nature of God. Tritheism, where there's three independent separate gods, we serve three gods, like, no, that's not true. But I think the key point to point out in all of this is like, okay, you know, we could talk about the Trinity and the complexities and the errors and things like that. And it could be kind of academic and, and things, but these things really get at the heart of the gospel. 
You know, when we begin to say, oh, Jesus Christ, you know, he was just a created being, that really negatively impacts his ability to actually adequately pay for our sins. You know, if Jesus Christ isn't God, you know, how, there's, there's no sinless perfection. We, we lose out on these aspects of, of things that are foundational and so key to the gospel. And uh, so that's why it's important that we make sure that we have a, a biblical understanding of uh, who the God is that we worship. And, and be fiercely and dogmatic about it. And Absolutely. And unapologetic. Yeah. And, and Christians should not say, well, yeah, they get the Trinity wrong, but they mean well. Um, okay, they get the Trinity wrong, but that the next thing that you say should be, so that means they're not Christians. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and it's not that, okay, we get to condemn everybody and say who's in hell and all that stuff. It's we just need to correct them. And by God's grace, they'll believe what is right. But if they continue to reject what the word of God plainly says, then um, at that point that you can't just consider them your brother in Christ, you can't have fellowship with them as you would with actual Christians. Yeah. Okay. That's the dogma section. Right. The last section within primary doctrine is practice. So you've got gospel, you've got dogma, which we were just talking about. And then we move into practice, which is different than dogma because practice isn't really like theologies. These aren't things that you spend weeks in a Bible college discussing. Um, but instead these are just, this is just the natural outflow of the Christian life based mm -hmm. on what either we're commanded to do in scripture or just what is clearly laid out for us in scripture to do as Christians. So you want to walk through that? Yeah. So we're, we're leaving, so we're kind of leaving the realm of orthodoxy into the realm of orthopraxy, right? That's another word for it. Um, but yeah, so um, the first thing there, baptism, um, scriptures command us, you know, to, to be baptized for those to uh, who believe in Jesus Christ to be baptized. Now, okay, now there's, People yeah, well, you, gonna, just, you just you yeah, just went into just, Baptist versus Presbyterian, Ken. Yeah. <laughs> so there's so if you were to look over on the uh, the secondary doctrine chart, uh, the secondary column you know, on the chart, you would see uh, about halfway down methods of baptism. So it's like, okay, now wait a second. We've got baptism in the first column, primary, and then methods of baptism in the secondary doctrine. What what do we got going on here? Um, and so we recognize, okay, yeah, there's there's, uh, there's different ways that people understand how we ought to practice baptism, immersion, sprinkling, believers, babies, you know, how, how, are, we, how are we to do this? Um, but what we cannot be, uh, we, we cannot be wishy-washy about is the fact that we are commanded to observe this. This is something we are commanded to do. Uh, and, and so while there may be some disagreements based on hermeneutics about the method, the, the, the principle of baptism being practiced, that transcends the hermeneutics, right? We, we all, Christians baptize people. That is just something that happens. Yeah. Another way to think of it is what we have here in the practice section of the of primary doctrine is the what, and mm -hmm. then the how is in the secondary. Right. Yeah. That's a good way to, good way to view it. So, so and, and again, and, and another thing too, I mean, so we say, yeah, there's freedom in, okay, is it believers or is it babies or whatever? 
there's freedom in so far as you're not sacrificing the gospel justification by right. faith on yes. that altar, because there are obviously some who um, believe it's a sacrament or something that you do to earn your salvation mm-hmm. and um, that there's obviously no freedom there. But if we're talking about Baptists who don't believe you're doing it for salvation and Presbyterians who don't believe you're doing it salvation, they just disagree on the method and the mode and all of that. There is freedom there. Yes. Yes, but this is in this first column because the scriptures so very clearly say, you know, go therefore teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's that, that yes. is this is foundational to uh, to Christian practice. So that's the first thing. You know. yeah, the next thing I I wrote this in 2016. This version five. So it's been three and a half years ish. Um, I say biblical ethics. You didn't like the word ethics in there, huh? Did I have an issue with ethics? Yeah. I think you, you asked why it said ethics and not morality. Is that yeah, maybe what you? That, that rings a bell. I think, I think I did say that, but I don't remember a lot of the details of that conversation. Which, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm totally fine with yeah. uh, morality. That's obviously the biblical word. Uh, so so yeah, the, the next aspect is just biblical ethics or morality, what, however you want to look at it. For instance, lying. Lying, good thing or bad thing. Uh, yeah. and, and it could be you know, said a little more strictly, the moral law of God. Um, so, or, or the morality of God as revealed throughout the, the scriptures. You know, that's another way of thinking of it, is that lying is evil. Um, coveting, jealousy, lust, all of those things are mm-hmm. evil. Yes. And, and we can't budge on those things. It's not like, well, the scripture's not clear if we're allowed to covet or not, <laughs> you know, right. um, pretty, pretty air, airtight case on that. So, yeah. So from there, um, we step down to the commitment to the local church. And, uh, this is something that could rankle feathers too. People are like, well, you know, it's just me, me and my Bible and Jesus, you know, and just a lot of Lone Ranger Christianity. But again, the Bible does not allow for that. The, the scriptures are, 100% clear that we are to be committed to our local church. We're to be fellowshipping in a body of believers and that's not optional, right? We are to be in, uh, in the community of the local church. That, that's just how we are to, uh, that's, that's how we grow. Uh, that's how we um, have accountability structures. That's how we um, stir one another up to love and good deeds. As uh, the writer to the Hebrew says in chapter 10, um, it's, it's critical for our Christian life and it's not, it's not optional biblically. And we go into, and again, this isn't a comprehensive list. It's pretty, pretty good list though. If I do say something, yeah. <laughs> uh, communion again, not talking about methods of communion, but just the fact of communion, Jesus saying, do this in remembrance of me. Right. Um, it's an ordinance of the church evangelism. Uh, you know, okay. Is there any place in scripture where it says you must, share your faith with other people. Yeah. There are probably a couple of places in the new Testament that say something pretty close to that, but we don't need a hard and fast rule for that. Just based on, um, what is the commission of Christians is to make disciples of all nations. And how do you do that? By sharing the gospel, by proclaiming the gospel. Um, that's, that's what we're called to do. And so evangelism is a key aspect of the Christian life. Along with, boy, this wasn't as controversial in 2016 as it is now, which Ooh. is pretty wild to think about. Right. Um, gender roles. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, I, 
what's written there. Okay. We could go into conversations about egalitarianism and complementarianism, and we can talk about that more um, in a future episode, probably. But did God create the male and female? Yep. Yeah, he did. He did. And did and God was that give before, them? Wait, was yeah. that before or after the fall? Yeah, I, I think it was before. <laughs> okay. And was one yeah. was was one called to do one thing and one called to do another, and there were different roles. Was that before the fall? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was. Yeah. Imagine that. Yeah. Anyway, we're not <laughs> touching on anything controversial now, are we? <laughs> well, doctrine divides. That's right. Yeah. And this again, this is, you know, again, we want the, we're putting these things in the primary category and saying we need to be unapologetic about these things, even when our culture says opposite, even when our culture says that that's inappropriate, or even when our culture says that that's, you know, politically incorrect or whatever. It's like, well, I don't care about what's politically correct or not. I care about what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. And I care about this, the authority of Boy, the word of God. You're sounding like a fundamentalist. Over That's there. right. That's right. I'm going to start, get some, uh, you know, Bible, Bible bashing going on down here. Uh, <laughs> okay. Not 90 seconds to finish this out. You want to do the last three? Yeah. So giving, um, we believe that you should uh, you should be giving uh, to your local church. Um, I think that, that's a principle. Uh, yeah, is there any way to read the New Testament and say, oh, we should just keep all of our money to ourselves? I don't think so, no. Yeah, and we're not talking about a tithe specifically, right? We, we don't say that there's uh, there has to be, you have to give 10% or something like that. And what the Bible says is to give proportionally and uh, to give generously. God loves a cheerful giver. So um, that's something that we are uh, compelled to do. Um, and, uh, and it should be a desire of ours, you know, as you said, a, a cheerful giver, that should be something that we foster within ourselves. The necessity of prayer. Um, if you're not praying, you know, what, on what basis can you really call yourself a Christian? Cause we're, we're talking about maintaining a relationship with the father who has saved us, who has uh, called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And you're not going to talk to him. Yeah, and yeah. again, I mean, these things are the things that transcend any mode of interpretation for the New Testament. Yeah. Is there any way to read the New Testament and say, oh, to be a Christian, um, to live a Christian life, you don't have to pray? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not the vibe we get. Yeah. And then finally, uh, biblical sexuality, which again is another uh, not a fire starter, mm-hmm. uh, something to cook things up. But hey, we, unapologetic. God made us male and female, and God has designed the sexual relationship to be expressed between one man and one woman, united in in marriage, and that's it. That's the way it, it is to be um, is to be observed. Uh, and so, unapologetic about that, um, that that God's word does not allow for homosexuality or um, other aberrant forms of sexuality that um, do not bring honor and glory to Him. So, and that's, yeah, that's not just because we want to be all, you know, you know, fundies about that. There's, you know, the scripture, number one, the scriptures are very clear on it. And number two, that what, uh, what God has done with sexuality is a beautiful thing. And we throw that away when we decide that we can practice this however we want. Uh, so, yeah. Yep. Yep. That's it. So these two episodes together have comprised the 
understanding that we're putting forth of primary doctrine. Mm -hmm. So if you just listen to this one, you've only heard one half of the story. Uh, The other one um, goes right along with this. And in the next episode, we will tackle secondary doctrine, and that will definitely be a two-parter. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be a lot of fun. That'll be good. Yeah, it'll be a good time. Okay, well, um, thank you for listening, and until next time, do do theology. theology. This is our sign-off. This is, I don't see how it can be anything else. <laughs> the, the until next time part, does that have to be there? I think so. Yeah, I think it's good. I think it fits. Until next time. Do theology. Do theology.